the impudence, the audacity, the unmitigated gall of those knuckleheads of liberty podcasters daring to voice opinions outside the mainstream of accepted thought. Listen, if you dare, it's angry, it's funny, it's even sometimes sad, but it's always based on freedom and justice, as you will see. Here's our host, Jason McPhee. It is March 13th, 2023, and welcome to the Knuckleheads of Liberty, where we bring you the people and organizations fighting for liberty around the corner, uh, or excuse me, around the country and in your neighborhood. <laughs> so uh, today we are actually going to be talking with uh, a special guest. Um, he is Tony Woodleaf. He is a senior executive vice president of the State Policy Network, and he's up in our right-hand corner. But let me introduce you to the rest of our panel before we get going. In our left-hand corner, we have Leon, the word Brathwaite, last word in liberty. He is a retired engineer in the state of California. In our lower left-hand corner, we have our screaming eagle of freedom, Tim Everett. He is a pilot in the state of California. My name is Jason McPhee, and I'll be your host. So, uh, State Policy Network, um, <clears throat> it sounds like what you guys are doing, Tony, is you guys are trying to sort of coordinate and organize efforts uh, to sort of harmonize efforts on liberty between, you know, different state actions and stuff. You want to tell us a little bit more about what it is you guys do and, and uh, how you guys got started? Sure. And thanks for having me on. Um, so we've been around for 30 years. This is our 31st year. And, uh, you know, we began the idea way back in the day was, you know, you had the, the emergence of some national groups that were trying to kind of bring a especially a sort of economics point of view into policy. Uh, you know, Heritage Foundation had come onto the scene. Uh, early 80s was instrumental in uh, like a source of talent in the Reagan administration. And so the thought was, if you can get right thinking people influencing policy, policymakers are going to be, you know, they're going to be better positioned to make the right decisions. They're, they're going to, you're going to offset the lobbyists and the sort of self-interested bureaucrats and that kind of thing. So uh, it was actually Ronald Reagan who, in a conversation with a, a gentleman down in South Carolina, Tom Rowe, who helped found State Policy Network, Reagan said, well, you know, we need a heritage foundation in every state uh, to do the same thing. Um, and that was the genesis of SPN. So the, the original iteration was, Let's build little, you know, free market think tanks in every state that would play the same role vis-a-vis -vis their state government that Heritage was trying to play at that time. Uh, <coughs> so that's not to say that at this point that, um, you know, all of our goals are aligned with Heritage's goals or that all our think tanks are aligned with one another. Uh, but we began to stimulate the growth of these independent, um, mostly 501c3 research centers and think tanks around the country to bring, you know, the free market message to state capitals. And then over time, they, you know, recognizing realities, they began to build additional components, investigative journalism, C4s to directly influence policy, uh, public litigation, public interest litigation firms to sue the government when needed, uh, and so on and so forth. So now it's a much more robust, diverse network of about 63, 64 um, state-based groups trying to influence state policy, but now more and more uh, aiming and coordinating uh, in the fight against federal overreach into communities, which is mostly what my work is, because we realize now if we don't do something about federal agencies, um, every state will become an administrative district of Washington, D.C. Mm. Wow. Are, are you guys in there? 
I'm sorry, Tim. Well, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, real quick, Leon. Uh, uh, our invisible hand, James. Can you bring up the uh, uh, graphic real quick, just so people can uh, uh, find this? It's uh, spn.org, and you can go check that out. Yeah. So, um, Tony, are you guys in every state? We are. Uh, yes. I mean, some states. It's you know, it's a maybe a small one or two person shop that's doing you know some basic kind of uh, research and economics, that kind of thing, trying to reach out to key audiences. In other states, we have more than one uh, organization. We have two or three, and they have different lanes that they <clears throat> occupy. Um, and our job is to help help them in a variety of ways, get them set up, help them figure out how to raise money, how to do strategy. And the more sophisticated, older ones, we learn from them. And then we take their best practices and we share those with the other state groups to try to spread you know, what works throughout the country. Definitely is a, a necessary thing. I mean, especially we, we saw with COVID coming down, you know, and, and the way is, is you talk about, you know, the, the federal encroachment into all these states where, you know, we just saw literally executive authority taking over everywhere and just yeah. all kinds of things being crushed down. I was curious, did, did you guys have, did you guys play a, a particular role uh, with respect to that? Yeah. So, um, and that's a great, COVID's a great example um, of both how you can have dictators at the state level and then the, the this ongoing confusion generated by federal agency overreach. So you had one governor in New York who was, uh, you know, committing essentially the crime of pushing COVID positive elderly into the most vulnerable communities in that state. And one of yes. our uh, affiliates ran the numbers and showed that you had a higher death rate in those facilities where Cuomo was pushing those people and Cuomo blamed it on the feds and said, well, the feds are making me do this, you know, because they, they, they tell us how to run our nursing homes. And then you had in my state of North Carolina, also run by a Democrat governor. He had everyone in this brutal lockdown in nursing homes until people were suicidal because they could not see their loved ones. They were decompensating because they had no kind of, you know, when you have family who visits you regularly, that's one way that you can mark time and keep track of, existence. So you had this, uh, you know, destruction of lives by our governor. So the opposite of Cuomo and he blamed the feds and said, well, the feds say that we have to do it this way. So obviously they're doing whatever they want. And the feds were going out of their way to not give clear guidance on nursing homes, which was, um, I thought a shame and an embarrassment. And, um, and, they, and remember at that time you had a Republican running CMS. Um, so she, she did not distinguish herself in any way that I found it admirable. So uh, what we did was, you know, we had our state-based groups that were filing lawsuits, doing research like in New York to show the damage that was being done. And our job was to coordinate them. You know, we're all in lockdown, so we use Zoom a lot. Coordinate groups, get them uh, sharing information, sharing legal um, ideas on the best ways to sue, how to get, you know, FOIAs going to, you know, get the information out there. And then we also did some stuff, too, like we helped some states uh, uh, really quickly adopt some occupational licensing reforms so that you, for example, if you're a nurse and you're locked down in Michigan, but you're licensed in Ohio, you know, will the state of Michigan let you practice in Michigan? Well, they darn sure ought to. Or if you're recently retired as a doctor in Idaho, you know, uh, will they let you practice? Those kinds of things. Um, we took the the lead in, in getting those ideas directly to state legislatures and governors. And thankfully, a lot of them recognize the wisdom of that. But quite often, you just got to goose them. You know, it's not the instinct of any government official to innovate. 
Uh, and so that's where we could be helpful. Uh, just, just was trying to get a question in to Tony if he's familiar with Defend the Guard, that that organization and movement. No, no. Well, okay. Um, in a nutshell, it's uh, a group that is trying to make force um, by getting each state one by one to implement their sovereignty over their national guard as a oh. state national guard. So because what the federal government is doing is they're taking the National Guard and they're using them over in Afghanistan or wherever they want to be. You know, next it'll be Ukraine. It'll pull everybody out. And so nobody uh, is around for when there's a disaster in the state. You know, where's your National Guard? Well, we're over in Ukraine fighting Putin. Right. Uh, Right. So, yeah. So defend the guard uh, is utilizing the Constitution. Ah! Mm -hmm weird document that that may be uh, to uh, justify their their uh, you know to 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 give them the um uh, backing of of what they're trying to do well it's compounded because you have a congress that refuses to um exercise its right rightful authority over um military interventions right they don't want to be held accountable for it so they just give a blank check to the president and then you've got yeah. a bureaucracy that opposes the president. You remember we all saw, you know, we found out after the fact Trump had tried to pull troops out of places like Syria and the National Defense Organization just lied to him. Right. They, they deliberately disobeyed his orders because they have a vested interest in being there. So yeah. I'm a big fan of states asserting as much authority as they can. It's funny you mentioned government lying to us. And I mean, it just absolutely shocked, you know, that government would lie to us. I mean, we've seen it with COVID. We saw it with uh, the whole uh, security state stuff with uh, Eric Snowden. And and it's funny. I mean, when these people do lie to us, they don't seem to be any accountability for them. Now, people who who whistleblow, there's huge accountability for them. I mean, they have to they're either in jail or they have to go into exile. Right. Get destroyed. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, we saw that. There was a great um, article in Harper's uh, a couple months ago about Julian Assange. It's really well written. And Harper's, that's a, you know, that's a middle of the road kind of magazine. And it's just a, it, it's an indictment of people like Pompeo, all these people in this kind of national security intelligence uh, blob and how they just uh, you know, they hated being called out on their lies. They hated being brought into the light. And that's exactly yeah. what WikiLeaks did. Yeah. You know, um, Jason, you raised this issue of whistleblowers. I think there's a big distinction in terms of the, the in terms of whistleblowers. If the whistleblowers is a is a, is somebody who is whistleblowing against someone who the media hates, in say Donald Trump, for instance, that whistleblower will be celebrated in the media. Right. We have had a few of those. If the whistleblower is somebody who's talking against, say, somebody like Joe Biden. They, they then they do end up like you just described. They, have, they probably have to go into hiding and all sort of things. They are discredited in every form and fashion. So right. there's a real division about even even about whistleblowers. Yeah, that's right. That's what happened to Assange, right? He offended yes, the Hillary campaign. He exposed what the Democrats did, kind of running Bernie Sanders out. Right, 2016, they stole that nomination from Bernie Sanders, and it leaks confirmed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, of course, the journalists don't consider Assange to be a journalist. They, they would rather not talk about WikiLeaks at all. Sure. Well, Tony, well, one, one of the questions we always like to ask our guests is because it's not always apparent, uh, you know, especially in this uh, 
paradigm of government education you know, that's just ubiquitous. But how did you come to discover liberty and what brought you to uh, getting involved with the SPN? Uh, those are two different things. So I, I you know, um, I wrote about this in my, my book, um, I Citizen, uh, right at the front. Um, I remember pretty clearly I was a, a boy for a while. We lived in Florida because my stepfather was a pipe fitter on the nuclear power plants uh, they were building down there. And so we lived in one of these big housing developments, you know, just little houses and then a lot of, <clears throat> you know, dirt and uh, some canals. And we had a dog and my dog got out as she often did. And uh, just happened to be the day that the dog catcher decided to patrol our neighborhood. So I look outside and there's my dog over in a field and here's the dog catcher getting out of his truck and getting that stick, you know, with the rope, the loop on the end of it. And he's marching towards my dog and she's friendly. So she thinks maybe he has a treat or something. So I take off running like to get to my dog before he can. Cause I figure if I have my dog, he's not allowed to take my dog. So I get to the dog right before he does. And then he, uh, I won't let him put the thing on her neck. So then he gets out this clipboard and he starts asking all these questions about where I live and what are my parents' names and what do they do for a living? And I'm just answering his questions because I'm an obedient child. I'd had enough public schooling by that point to, to learn obedience, which is the chief point of public school, I think. Um, and here comes my mother and um, she's a redhead. She was a redhead. And uh, she comes charging out and she lays into this guy. And for her, it's all like high philosophy. It wasn't, why are you picking on my kid? It was like, you have no authority here. How dare you question this minor without the uh, parent present? Just like, boom, 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 boom. Runs him off. He never came back. We never saw a dog catcher again in that neighborhood. <laughs> and then she takes me in the house and I thought she's going to give me some cookies or something or make sure I'm not afraid. And instead she lays into me and she says, don't, you don't ever give your private information to an agent of the state right? They had no warrant. He had no right. And all these words that are above me. I'm like 10 years old, 11 years old. And then <laughs> okay. the woman opens her, I mean, in the kitchen, she opens the drawer where there's like wooden spoons and stuff and gets out this little copy of the constitution and shoves it in my chest and, and says, go to your room and don't come out until you've read the whole thing. So <laughs> I got sent to my room as a child and forced to read the constitution. And so I guess that piqued my interest. And I guess ever since then, I've had an instinct like a visceral hatred of bullies, period, but especially bullies with authority. So, you know, what, they, a, story. what, what, what they, a story. What, wow. Well, yeah, you know, one thing that jumps yeah, out at me at that story. story is keeping a, a copy of the Constitution in the kitchen. I mean, talk about a recipe <laughs> for liberty. She was an unusual I've woman. Had, I I have to five in. We have had, we, uh, Jason asked this question of everybody, you know, how did you come about being a libertarian? By far, that is the best libertarian come, come to Jesus well, moment story mother. ever, uh, ever. And she wasn't even libertarian. She, it depends on when you asked her. She was a <clears throat> anarchist, a communitarian, socialist. She was anti anything big. She hated yeah. the FBI. She hated the, the military, even though my stepfather and most men in my family have served. But she hated the brass, the military brass. She hated the CIA. She hated big pharma. She would be she's turning over in her grave to see she was a Democrat her whole life to see the people in her party. Their allegiance to those very yeah. same institutions now without question would just uh, drive her nuts. Yeah. Oh, wow. 
sounds like she was ahead of her time, (laughs) you know, (laughs) hitting all these things, you know, just, it just amazes me that, you know, we could become, we've seen so many examples in the past, especially too with revolutions about how the FBI spied on people like Martin Luther King and others. And the idea that we, we have so little skepticism. I mean, I I suppose it's because of that government education system, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I would, I wouldn't even call it, I would not even call it education. It's more like propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, I don't understand that kind of um, short-sighted allegiance to these abusive institutions other than a, yes. a visceral hatred of one's enemies, you know, yes. that makes you side with whomever you think is opposed to them. But that, then that to me is just tribalism. It's not even a philosophy anymore. It's just tribalism. Well, yeah, it's, that, that's what the latest uh, people that have come out with good articles that I've read recently uh, that, uh, about why people do this. It's just tribalism. It's, yeah. it's being part of the group. It's uh, you're, you're in high school and you want to be in the in crowd. And so you'll, you'll um, torture your, you'll not torture him physically, but mentally some, you know, kid that's partly retarded. And, and that's, that's how you get into the in crowd. You know, you'll do yeah. whatever it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully it's not many people, but it's, you've got a small percentage of the U S population that is, so polarized and tribal minded that they'll side with anyone and any institution against their ideological enemies on the other side. It's about 10% well, on both sides is, of the political spectrum. I, 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 I disagree. I don't know where you came up with that one, Tony, yeah. um, but I respectfully disagree. I think it's way, way higher than that. Well, I think it's yeah. just the few of us that are liberty minded that, that uh, are kind of uh you know, sensitive mm-hmm. to, to this kind of thing. But, but you know, I, that I was going to say, keep in mind, Tony, we live in California. Sorry. Does, yeah. Go ahead. Tim. Yeah. That might be it right there. So I can tell you just, if you look at the survey evidence, um, most Americans, um, it's only about uh, 15% of Americans who will say that they are uh, very conservative or very liberal or extremely conservative or liberal. Uh, most Americans don't identify with either political party. Um, when you kind of go through that polling evidence, um, it's a small vocal minority on both sides that are really, really strong allegiance to a party, Republican or Democrat, and this animus towards the other side. But mo- even the people who vote pretty regularly for one party or the other, um, they don't really have that great an allegiance. And most Americans don't even talk about politics. Most Americans aren't on Twitter I was at, I went to NatCon, not because I am one, but I was just curious, you know, what are these guys up to? And I remember their their godfather, um, Yoram Herzoni, the guy they revere, he, he at one point in his speech, he said, Twitter is the American mind. And his point was, we've got to, you know, we've got to get out there and make our case. And I thought, Lord have mercy, this, you are so mistaken. Twitter is this, not even a real place, as Dave Chappelle points out, and uh it's a minority of people who are there, and most of the people there don't even talk about politics. So what happens is our the news media really pr- plays up the polarization in America. They find the nuts and give them airtime, and then we get deceived into thinking that's most of America, and it's really not. Um, I hope I'm deceived, and I hope you are right. <laughs> I'm here to I, tell you you are. I, I, I think there's a little... Whoa, 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 hold on, Leon. Uh, real quick, uh, uh, Tony, you mentioned NatCom. Uh, did you want to... I, I wasn't sure what that referred to, NatCom. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was a convention of national conservatives. So you got oh, okay. this kind of, you know, the Sora Bamari and Rod Dreher. It's a kind of a weird mix of people. 
and I just was sure. curious about what they're up to. Sure, I just wanted to get yeah. clarified that. Yeah, guess. Go ahead, Leon. <laughs> you know, Tony, I, I, I wouldn't, I would not disagree with the polling data you just laid out because I think I have seen similar numbers. What I would try to point out in, 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 in all of this is that there's really a concentration of those of, 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 um, of, of the, the polarization, though, because I think the left. Even though they may be in small numbers, as you point out, I think they are concentrated in, like in government, like in the yes. media, yes. Um, the, the FBI in particular. That that too, that one scares me. Uh, um, in the Department of Homeland Security, I think there is a concentration that is scary. Correct. In the the absolute numbers, I agree with you on, but I think the concentration is where the big problems begin. That's right, Leon, you're exactly right. In fact, in my book, I Citizen, this is the point I make, because I'm a political scientist by training, a PhD, University of Michigan. So, you know, the center of polling in America, at least back in my day. And so the first part of my book, I show that most Americans are not in this kind of polarized war. The whole idea of we're on the edge of civil war, it's just this, it's a fever dream. Um, yes. But the political class, the people invested in our conflict, who are in those institutions, they are the ones who hate each other and then they project it onto us. And the reason they do it is it becomes their excuse to concentrate power in D.C. and right. run our lives mostly through undemocratic means. And Republicans Absolutely. and Democrats do that. Uh, and then they tell yeah. us we're the problem, which is the add insult to injury. Right? There you go. There you go. I'm totally with you on that one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, I'm, I'm becoming a believer. <laughs> yeah, all right. All right, good. Win one person over today. I can, I can retire today. <laughs> Tony, getting back to the uh, State Policy Network, what's the, what's the biggest success that you guys can think of that you guys have been involved with? So in recent, if you think about like a campaign to get an outcome, because our biggest success is we built this network, which is what I would say, which now leaves us positioned in the way uh, no other organization is in this country to fight federal agencies the way they need to be fought, which is in multiple jurisdictions across multiple issues through multiple institutions. And I could say more about that. But in terms of uh, like an immediate victory, the one that um, stands out to me uh, during the Obama administration, uh, this might shock you, um, but he uh, committed what I would consider an unconstitutional act, uh, which and he did it very quietly. And that was to enable governors to um, skim dues from uh, Medicaid disability payments. So what they did was they allowed any governor in the country to say, well, you know what? You may be getting a check at home through Medicaid to care for your disabled child. Well, that means you're now an employee and you're in the union. And we're going to take a piece of that disability check every month and give it to the union. So it yes. won't surprise you to a bunch of Democrat governors immediately did this. And they did it quietly. They didn't announce it. And of course, the press didn't cover it. And they were skimming hundreds of millions a year from the disabled and giving them to union bosses. Like talk about just fundamental evil, all yes. enabled by Obama, the, the you know, the uh, scandalous president. Right. So <laughs> the problem with these agencies is you get your team in. Let's say you, you know, whatever you feel about Trump. OK, here's this guy who wants to drain the swamp, he says. OK, here he is. The problem is nobody knows where the plug is in the swamp. Yeah. So you get you send these people to Washington and they say, I'm conservative. I'm for the Constitution. They have no idea how government works. They don't know what to do. And so 
what are they going to do? They're going to uh, posture. So what we were able to do is we got a whole coalition of uh, state groups together. They reached out through their state representatives and you get enough of a voice. We could get in front of the Trump people and say, look, this is what the guy before you did. Here is specifically what you need to do to end this practice. And so we were able to weave through those kind of hallways of power and show them exactly what they had to do to pull at least that one little plug and drain that little part of the swamp. And so we stopped the theft of hundreds of millions of dollars from the disabled. And that, that was one that, and it was our network. It wasn't just SPN. It was the network that we're part of that did that. I'm proud of that. And was there a, a, some kind of law or act or anything that was required for that or? Well, this, the, the beauty of um, coming in after a president who had, did not have the popular support to do what he wanted. So he just used a pen. Remember he bragged about it. He said, I've got a phone, I've got a pen. You know, he went in, remember he went in and lectured Congress and they applauded him for it. Yeah. Like some kind of school marm. He went in there and lectured them for not doing what he thought they should do because they thought that they should represent the interests of their constituents and said. So he said, I've got a pen and a, a, a phone. I'll do it. And so the beauty of that kind of um, inanity is you can come in afterwards with your pen and your phone and undo it. So that sure. was uh, mostly yeah. what happened. Um, the, the problem with the Trump officials was and this is a problem for the right. So this evangelize this, if you would, we view big government as a cancer, but we don't approach it like oncologists. We think the way to fight the cancer is to write a strongly worded, you know, op ed and that'll fix the cancer. No, you need to understand it at the cellular level. We need a whole cadre of kids who don't want to go out and be the next Ben Shapiro. They want to go in and understand the Administrative Procedures Act better than anyone and administrative law. And we need to get them into government to dismantle it piece by piece. That's how you destroy a cancer. And for too long, we've thought, well, we're just going to say prayers in the center square and that's going to fix the cancer. It absolutely will not. So that was a challenge for the Trump people is they did not have enough folks who understood the APA. And so at least two Supreme Court cases, they lost that They should have won. And if you read the decisions, you see the disgust of the conservative majority on the court essentially saying you guys didn't do your homework and now we have to find against you. So anyway, that's my little, I'll get off my soapbox, but. No, it's okay. Like, I, I, I like no, this. No, no. I like this. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, well, it, 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 and for, and for those, uh, I, I can't remember if you said what the APA was, but that's the Administrative Procedures Act for those of you out there uh, uh, listening. And, and that literally is how uh, the executive branch does law. I mean, that's the regulatory yeah. process. So it, it's how you get involved. It's how uh, it tells you about what your uh, ability is as a citizen to hear what's going to be decided and to give comment and such before yeah. it gets decided. So, uh, but Tony, do you have any uh, last uh, thoughts that you'd like to leave the audience with uh, before we uh, wrap up? Um, I, I would just say, I, I we the right <clears throat> conservative groups, some libertarian groups, we shot ourselves in the foot because we've had a relentlessly negative message for 40 years. We send it out through direct mail every month. The sky is falling. The socialists are about to take over. Send your check now. And maybe we can keep the barbarians off the gates a little longer. And it's just nonsense. Most Americans tend to be center right. They're not that animated about theology. Thank God. And we have this whole apparatus at the state level. We can go at the feds, right? The, the left's organizing principle is top down. And we're bottom up. So there is real opportunity right now, especially with the advantage in the federal courts on the bench, 
to really go with these agencies. And we're seeing some cracks in administrative law. So now is the time to get in the game and don't wait for somebody in D.C. to fix it. Right. Get engaged at the state and local level because there's a lot state and local officials can do to say no to the feds to investigate them and to go directly at them through the courts and through their legislatures. So that's that's my message. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Tony. And if you want to check that out, go to SPN.org and you can check out more about Tony's organization. Um, and thank you so much for joining us today. And until the next time, stay tuned and stay free. Yes, indeed. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness always and forever. Thank you for listening to the Knuckleheads of Liberty podcast. Find us on Facebook and at knuckleheadsofliberty.com.